Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. Have you ever picked up the phone only to find the person you're about to call is already on the line and the phone hasn't even rung yet? Have you had a dream about something that later on came true? Has someone just out of the blue started talking about something that's been on your mind almost word for word? I have. We all have if we're honest about it. What's with that? Are these merely coincidences in an otherwise random world like the skeptics would have you believe? Or is there something more cosmic to it? Some people call it ESP. In this episode, Morgan dives into the topic with gusto, and later we have a conversation with the always fascinating Nancy Zingroni, a research fellow at Parapsychology Foundation, Inc., and professor at North Central University. Here's Morgan. Psychokinesis. Precognition. ESP. What do these four things have in common, if anything? Why should we, as paranormal researchers, even begin to care? Well, because the explanation for all of them has not only likely been discovered, but it has also one common and important thread, quantum particle physics and neuroscience. Now, most people hear those words and immediately shut down. Rocket science stuff, right? Well, sometimes, but... I want to introduce you to the man who figured this all out, okay? Dr. William Roll lived from 1926 to about 2012. So we here as students of the paranormal have to take a huge pause in what we're doing in order to understand what he has published, okay? I mean a huge pause. Drop everything you thought you knew right now. Turn off the TV shows and start listening, In the final years of his life, William G. Roll spent most of his last years making sense of psi phenomenon, narrowing it down to two areas of interconnectedness which he felt was particularly relevant, quantum physics and neuroscience. Roll's thinking had much to do with the late Michael Persinger, who passed away in 2018, so anyone familiar with his work will recognize it. But... I hope that within the next few paragraphs, I can explain this in a way that will change how you look at Psy forever. And yeah, I'm quite serious. And no, it's not an exaggeration. So, let's start here. In parapsychology, there are two basic types of Psy. The first is receptive Psy, better known as extrasensory perception, or ESP. 
It comes from several forms, telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, psychometry, etc. The second is expressive psi, also known as PK or psychokinesis, and can be described in terms of macroscopic and microscopic PK, so affecting the world we see and then the world we see under a microscope. Now, Erwin Schrodinger lived from 1887 to 1961, proposed that in 1935, according to quantum theory, if a subatomic particle is split in half, the two resulting particles will be forever connected or entangled. So no matter where one goes, no matter the distance, those two halves will always be responsive to the other. Think of it like identical twins. One is always tied to the other, right? No matter where they are in the world. He proposed this theory in response to an article written by the great Albert Einstein, Boris Podolsky, and Nathan Rosen, who described a thought experiment originally designed to refute the idea of quantum physics, now known as the EPR experiment. The basic idea behind EPR was this. Those twins that we just discussed aren't dependent on what the other twin is doing. Instead, the actions of the second twin is dependent upon what your observation expects. Confused yet? Don't worry, I'll explain. Think of each twin, each half of the particle, as spinning coins. You've already observed the first one, which landed on heads. You can only observe one at a time, so the other coin is still spinning. Only your focus will make it stop. This spinning is called being in superposition. It is neither on heads or tails. The coin will spin until your attention causes it to stop. Which side it will land on depends on something very specific. Your observation, not random chance. The realization that mere observation can bring about the collapse of a superposed system seems pretty weird. How can observation do that? The observer's gaze shouldn't affect the object, right? Well, in EPR, it's the other way around, and it absolutely can. The physicist Pasquale Jordan described it as such. Observations not only disturb what has to be measured, they produce it. We compel the photon to assume a definite position. We ourselves produce the result of the measurement. This is also known as the observer effect, and it is a persistent issue in these experiments. Oh, and one more thing about the EPR experiment before we go any further it is a conscious human being that makes it work. A machine can't do the EPR job by itself. Now, hackles tend to get raised when we bring up the word consciousness, but a straightforward explanation of all this is that it requires conscious observation in order for this to work. Jordan later added the following statement. I close these expositions concerning the interpretation of quantum theory with the reproduction of a brief conversation I had with an important theoretical physicist. He said, I am inclined to believe in telepathy. And I said, this has probably more to do with physics than with psychology. It seems Einstein had kept an open mind after all. So what does this mean for the paranormal? Well, everything. Think of a hotel. You see it in your head? Good. You walk into the lobby. You can only pick one room, right? Now, imagine every single hotel room is a different probability. There are an infinite numbers of them. It's a big hotel. There are all versions of the thing you were focusing on. They have different layouts, different furniture, different pictures on the walls, but they're all versions of the room that you want. 
The more you focus on one room or one probability, decision, or prediction, the other rooms begin to collapse. Those other rooms disappear until you are left standing in one room. Your observation of that room makes it real. Until you decide on it or observe it, it remains like all the others, spinning in superposition, waiting for observation. So what does this have to do with psychokinesis and ESP? To understand that, we have to take this one step further into something called Josephson's version of quantum theory, named for a concept developed by Josephson where they propose that life itself has its own way of acting and observing, known as ESP and psychokinesis. Can nature make a decision? The parallels between quantum and biosystems are there, and understanding how this can occur in nature comes down to understanding the observer. You as the observer can choose whether you want to put your attention on one hotel room or another. You are free to enter one and leave another. When you choose one course of action over another, you thereby collapse the wave function of the physical things in the environment, because it's spinning again, except that in this case of physical objects, what is collapsed is matter waves. It is the same with PK, the psi equivalent of action. So let's jump back to EPR for a second and rope in precognition here. In EPR, the observer looks at the other half of the particle, the other twin, and thereby stops it spinning in superposition. To put this in context with precognition, any event can be composed of these two same halves, the physical event and the perception of the event. These two halves make up what we know as present time. The event in the future is, of course, still spinning in superposition until it is decided on or recognized by the observer, which is you. In other words, the percipient would not inspect a pre-existing physical event, as it appears psychics are doing. Instead, they would observe one of the hotel room probabilities that are spinning in superposition. That recognition and observation makes it real. It stops the spinning and actualizes that probability, making it reality. Which event and probability you get depends on a few things, but it all comes back to the observer. So your biases, expectations, wants, dislikes, likes, everything. It will fill in all the gaps to create your probability and therefore your upcoming reality. As soon as you or the psychic sees that reality, guess what? Unless you shift your attention and create something new by focusing on something else, you might just get what's predicted. If this brings about the collapse of a wave function and the object of attention becomes a part of reality's present as we're suggesting, precognition brings about the collapse of a potential event in the future, which will turn a future event into an event in the present. In other words, it is the precognitive experience that makes the event occur at all. To say that precognition makes something in the future happen doesn't necessarily mean anything in the future can happen. Nancy Sondow introduced a brilliant analogy in 1988 after having a series of precognitive dreams herself, and it went like this. The trunk of a tree represents the present, and all the branches represent possible futures. When the tree becomes and turns into a bunch of branches, then one branch represents the possible future and others a probability. Assuming the branches are evenly divided, at each division there is a 50-50 split as to which one might occur. The farther up the tree the vision, the less likely it is to happen. 
However, on a rare occasion that one of those distant and tall branches is indeed reached, the vision would or can be as detailed as the branch right next to you and close to the trunk. This breakthrough in the understanding of precognition and ESP is absolutely huge. It also translates into the realm of paranormal investigation, as current notions of prediction and experimentation are now called into question. We have to begin to re-examine how we are progressing as researchers and begin to shed many old notions about how we view paranormal activity. We are inexplicably connected to all we are experiencing, and we cannot remove ourselves from that equation. As long as you are an observer, which you always will be, you will influence your reality and results. So the next time you step out into a haunted place or sit down with a psychic, keep in mind, you get what you ask for, even when it's unconscious. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whoa, there's a lot to think about in what Morgan just <laughs> said there. Holy smokes. I guess now is the perfect time to insert this conversation that we had with Nancy Zingroni. She is so interesting and digs further into this stuff. My mind is just constantly blown. I'm so grateful to have such an amazing guest on today and to be able to introduce Nancy Zingroni to the the world and to to my co-host here, Mike Brown. Um, yay! yay. <laughs> Nancy has a Bachelor of Arts with honors in psychology, a master's of science in education, specializing in higher education with a teaching specialty in psychology, was a doctoral candidate in history with a focus on the histories of science and medicine and has a PhD in psychology where her dis dissertation utilized the methodologies of history and the rhetoric of science, has a dis discursive psychology to study debates over the legitimacy of parapsychology research. She is the co-founder of the Azire Institute of Research and Education. Over her 50-year career, 50 years, guys, in scientific parapsychology, she has published more than 30 papers alone in collaboration with a number of colleagues in parapsychology and in education. Nancy, I'm so glad you were able to make it today. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Morgan. And you're you're one of my favorite people in the field too. So so we're we're doing good here. Well, that's a that's <clears throat> a very, very high compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> very, very high. We always um, we and, always were joyful when we saw you in the chat box of the courses. It was like, hey, Morgan's here. <laughs> Although that you have no idea how much that means to me because that, that is literally how I, I felt when I was there as well. I, I just was I was so excited and so passionate. And for those of you guys who are not familiar in the audience here with with uh Paramook, it was a an online and is an online classroom that all of the best in the field would come and we would we would talk and and present um Nancy do you want to talk about that a little bit because yeah, it, was, it was I think um, so special Carlos and I uh, uh when we uh, 
move from uh, Virginia Beach down here back to North Carolina, where we had started out our relationship mostly um, many years before that. We we were teaching at the Rhine in Rhine Research Institute, and it was it was a lot of fun. But the focus there was on adult education, and so there was a lot of pressure to to make things um, to kind of not dumb them down, but make them a little bit more palatable palatable, and um, for people that didn't have a, a an advanced education. And we, we thought we were doing that, but but we really were looking for this this idea of having conferences and but have them set up as a course, you know, where you'd have a whole bunch of speakers come in and give talks, but then there would be additional materials and chat and all that stuff and discussion forums, the kind of stuff that you would get with a with a course. So um, uh, they were very kind about <laughs> letting us <laughs> take off. And uh, we started with a regular conference at the end of 2014 uh, when we were living in, living in a very small cabin in the middle of the woods and our, our internet was, was extremely slow <laughs> and uh, didn't do a whole lot of up, uploading and downloading. So we were constantly hyperventilating. And then we, we started in uh, January of 2015 on our own, um, uh, the parapsychology and research, uh, uh, parapsychology research and education course. And it's called a MOOC because MOOC is a shorthand in education for massively open online courses, basically meaning you're going to have a ton of people in this course and you're not going to ask them to tell you what kind of education they've got. If they are interested, the door is open. And that was kind of the way that we wanted to do things, not even thinking about if somebody's interested, they're interested, you know. So, so we, we, and I, I had a colleague who did that for uh, English teachers, uh, 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 people from other countries who taught English, and for people that were interested in virtual world education, and she just would run these amazing conferences with this extra course-like activity going on. And that was, those were our inspirations. The first year we uh, got donations from about a half a dozen people, including the Parapsychology Foundation. And then from 2016 through um, 2021, uh, uh, 2020 rather, um, Lizette Coley actually financed the, the course completely, paying us to, to do the work and paying the expenses as well. So that was really great. We, of course, well, couldn't do it in 2021 because um, Carlos was uh, was afflicted with a brain cancer uh, probably in September, October of, of 2020, and um, he was diagnosed in February of 2021, but he knew in the fall that he was not able to put together the you know, the, 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 the faculty uh, list as he normally did, um, yeah. and we just decided, well, that's okay. We can come back in a couple of years or do it later in 2021, whatever. I'm hoping that in 2022, I can get together with um, uh, Brian Williams, who was one of our colleagues and collaborators as well from the Psychical Research Foundation and start it up again. Um, but we'll have to see. I'm moving from North Carolina to Illinois in between, so <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going to be. It's a um, lot. Well, and I mean, you've always you've always got stuff going on. Like it's yes. amazing, and the the so much of the work that, that Carlos did was really into the the mediumship and ESP yeah. side of the of parapsychology and, and the paranormal, and that wasn't yours originally. What no. changed for no. you? 
<laughs> no, we 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 met. Um, we were both. He was at the uh, uh, University of Virginia working for Dr. Stevenson, who's the reincarnation guy, and who was the uh, uh, main reincarnation researcher of the time. And I was working at the Foundation for Research on the Nature of Man, lovingly called Fernum, which turned later into the Rhine Research Center in Durham. And uh, right. um, my uh, my boyfriend at the time was not beloved by the fact of the staff of, oh, no. <laughs> of the Rhine Center. And one of them happened to visit uh, Dr. Stevenson's unit and came back raving about how Carlos was really wonderful. And I would just love him, you know, and all this. And I was kind of like, leave me alone. And then, and then I went up for the SSE conference, the Society for Scientific Exploration, with my boss, Dr. Ramakrishna Rao, who passed recently, and Dr. Bob Morris. Uh, in fact, all these guys are gone. Um, Bob Morris was the had just gotten the job as the Kersler Professor of Parapsychology at University of Edinburgh, and um, his mentor, John Belloff, was there too. So I. I this my thirty one year old self was sitting in the back seat with all these eminences, <laughs> driving three three hours up to the conference. And what I didn't know was that my colleagues had gotten together with his with Carlos's colleagues and made sure we met each other. And so we That's got phenomenal. to know each other. But he was very much interested in spontaneous experiences, especially mediumship. And um, because he was able to speak two languages fluently, English and Spanish, and read Italian, Portuguese, and French, he was, from the age of 21, um, uh, writing articles in the Spanish literature about what was going on in the Anglo-American scene and for the Anglo-American scene, what was going on uh, in all these other countries, mostly focusing on the 19th century. So when I met him, I think he was hopeful that I was going to, since I'm Italian-American, that I was going to be, <laughs> you say, be a Paladino. But unfortunately, I'm not only not very psychic, but um, the only thing I have in common with her is that I'm, you know, <laughs> retain water and I have a temper. <laughs> did you, did you have any personal experiences with with mediumship or for you was this was this strictly a study no it was strictly a study and actually um uh for carlos it was it medium shell mediumship was kind of part of the milieu because uh like a lot of other latin american countries there's a lot of spiritists you know the kardecian tradition from from france um in in puerto rico and he had friends and uh, his godmother who was really psychic, had a lot of psychic experiences of all types, um, also had friends in the spiritist community. So he had seen a lot of this around him. Once when we went back to Puerto Rico for Christmas, he had a, a speaking engagement at one of the spiritist churches. And I, as, she, as he was in the office talking to the you know admins about how this was going to work on the next day, I was in their museum, and I swear they had five or six of his early uh, reprints in a museum case with little things on the side saying, "Our you know Puerto Rico's favorite son," you know, and and, and he had no idea that they that they had even read any of his stuff. But so he was doing that very early on, and I. I had a uh, in college. I had a um, a professor who was an experimentalist, and um, Brenda Dunn, who was later the the uh, laboratory manager and colleague of uh, Dr. Bob John at Princeton. She was also in in uh, that college, and uh, John Bisahar, our our 
professor was very interested in the experimental side of the side uh, side of the field and uh, poo-pooed all the other stuff you know not the spontaneous experiences right. but anything that might be really wild like ghost stuff or um uh, uh mediumship so i i had this this pro rhinean um kind of um um prejudice i think when i met carlos and um, uh, he felt it was his job to uh, educate me, and and he did, <laughs> because it didn't take very long before I was balancing the two, and then uh, after a while, I was not doing any any experimental work either. Well, after that. I, I think people like like what you just said. I think you touched on something so important that you know people. Th- tend to think that ESP and and mediumship and that kind of thing is is sort of this very one-dimensional subject matter. And I think a lot of people immediately gravitate towards the idea of sort of the television psychic medium or you know, the medium on the, the street corner that you pay five bucks for a reading. And that's just not it at all. It, it's, no, exactly. To me, it's something so multidimensional. Exactly. Um, and and yeah. are inter, interconnected uh, at the very core. I mean, uh, uh, J.B. Ryan and uh, Louisa Ryan, his wife, were graduate students in botany at the University of Chicago when they went yeah. to a lecture by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about his experiences with mediumship in the UK and how he felt about the afterlife and so on. And they were inspired by everything that he said. They both had, um, you know, a religious uh, background and um, they were interested in that. But they did but they did have this kind of different way of looking at things in, in terms of, yeah, this is the foundational a piece of everything we're trying to do, but this is the modern era, 1927 for them. This was the modern era and we needed to bring, we need to find some way to reduce these amazing complex um, experiences into something that we can test test in the laboratory. And so that's how the card guessing and all that stuff came along. But periodically they would have conferences, um, like they had one conference, I think in the 50s or the early 60s, called uh, incorporeal agency that was jb ryan's term for mediumship and they and they they went through a lot of the afterlife kinds of things and the and the survival what's now known as survival research but they were looking for hypotheses for the laboratory rather than um wanting to focus on that uh, directly and i and i i knew i uh, from my reading um and uh uh, from my own uh, experience, not my personal experiences, but experiences of family members, that, you know, this other milieu is out there and it's really important. But I had kind of gone down the Rhinean, um, yeah, overemphasize <laughs> the Rhinean look at it. And Rhine was never very big in Latin America, to be honest, and, uh, and not that big in Europe either. It was just sort of the Anglo-American context. And there was a, a certain amount of rivalry between spiritualism and spiritism. Um, yeah. as well. So uh, it, he was, he was the very first, the very first uh, talk we ever did together was uh, for high school students, high school teachers at a teacher's conference in Charlottesville. And it had been put together by uh, uh, Stevenson's unit um, at University of Virginia. And they asked Carlos to ask me if I would do the experimental stuff and he could do the spontaneous and mediumship stuff. So we divided the whole day up into segments and we had a wonderful time and it was um as listening to him speak 
from that moment on, um, everything that he said was very convincing and very interesting and very uh, um, educational for me too. It kind of broadened my outlook and all that kind of thing. When I wrote about mediumship, like the the talk that I gave in 1991 in in, in uh, at the uh, Parapsychology Foundations Conference in Dublin on women in parapsychology. I looked at Palladino in the um, in the context of women's rights in Italy at the time that she was um, uh, being discovered and then being tested and so on. And um, so you know, or and another one that I did once was to look at a document that was uh, written by a 19th century, early 19th century minister about how um spiritualism was an ism you know like like yeah fascism and whatever it was you know abolitionism and and suffragism it was one of these things that happened to people when they're women especially when their uteruses tilt which was like (laughs) excuse me (laughs) it's all fun and games until your uterus (laughs) (laughs) yeah over so it was it was really hysterical, but it was a lot of fun, and it was something that kind of came out of our, you know, what we were doing at at uh, what we were studying at, at Duke as well. So I would kind of take a different different version of it. Um, uh, but over the years, um, you know, I have I, one thing we shared in common from the very beginning was that the field of parapsychology in the seventies and eighties was not taking experiencers at all seriously, and that's a huge mistake. Even if you're, even if you've got an experimental point of view, if you're not talking to the people who have these experiences in life, how are you going to learn where they come from, what they absolutely mean, how they work? You well, know? and that's just it. Like, not only, not only, you know, is it is it about? I think exactly what you're saying, talking to other people, but also the fact that you know people have the ability to to be able to tap into some of this themselves. And like, yeah. I've always been such a I've always been such a big believer that if if you're you know if if you're able to to do something or you've got knowledge or something like that 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 ability to then empower other people to do it I think is is so key and like what do you think about the idea that this is this is something that people can can start to tap into on their own I th- I think I, I and on one hand I'm kind of a Rhinean populist that everybody's got it um, and it's a question of of making the expression of it easier to do because some of us have personalities and maybe perceptual habits or something that, that um, allow us to kind of block out these kinds of things. Um, and Charlie Tart used to say back in the seventies um, too, and still does that uh, it's really important for people who are studying things to at least give it a try. You know, we, we once Carlson and I once went up to the Monroe Institute for um, one of these sort of weekend things that they were doing to introduce people to the programs. And uh, neither of us had out-of-body experiences, but we both had altered states of consciousness evoked by the the sound that we were hearing and being in the checks, uh, you know, these check units where you're in this like little enclosed space. And it and just the, what people were talking about, and uh, it was just really eye-opening for both of us. And it was it was pretty nifty, I must say. So, I mean, you have to kind of open yourself up to these things. And the, the other thing is that just being around people who were studying near-death experiences all these years, which we always kept a connection to the University of Virginia unit, um, you just can't read that stuff without understanding how, how 
prevalent it is, how there are universals in those experiences that aren't changed by culture, that there are interesting changes, but, you know, the core of it is the same and has been the same. You know, Carlos had uh, found articles uh, written by clergy in the 1700s about their people who had, you know, died and came back and had these big stories about what was to a modern reader an, a classic near-death experience. So those kinds of things kind of built in this, um, this, this sense that survival research was extremely important, that the experiences of, you know, that uh, the experiences of, of people who had the ability to express this type of information was extremely important. So I, um, it certainly, when, when, um, uh, when Carlos, uh, he, he had a form of brain cancer that was very aggressive and they, we knew it was terminal from the beginning, but we were hoping for more time. When he went into um, uh, hospice last year the, in, in June, uh, the, this lovely young Catholic guy came to um, uh, uh, be our chaplain. And he said, well, you know, we, we don't force anything on anybody. So what is your approach to, to, <laughs> to all these things? And he looked at me and I looked at him and I That's said- That's a long well, story. <laughs> I, we, I said, well, um, we're eclectic agnostics with a firm belief in the afterlife. <laughs> and he kind of looked at us like, oh, okay. And then he said, I can work with that. <laughs> and then later him. on, we started to talk to him about, you know, we started looking at the bookshelves and all that stuff and saying, oh, I get it, you know. But I mean, you can't, you just, uh, it grows on you. And I'm grateful because I'm like a rock when it comes to psychic stuff. I've, I've felt um, a presence you know since he's passed but um um i'm grateful to one of our students who uh is a a, a medium in the uk who had an experience with him and sent me the sent me an autom uh, automatic uh, writing piece that um she attributed to him and, and it had a, it was evidential from my perspective and i and i was um I was so grateful to hear that, you know, so I, my own sense that he's still there somewhere, um, uh, was, was buoyed up by that. And, and I wasn't above, uh, uh, grumping at him before he passed away and saying, don't you dare get reincarnated before I get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially after you all your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want you next time. Get that. <laughs> Well, and, and I, you know, talking about sort of the, the classic approach to, to, to mediumship and stuff like that, we were talking recently and I was, I was mentioning earlier in the, in the podcast as well, um, the work of, of Dr. William Roll and oh, yeah. the fact that you, you knew him. And to me, I think, I think he was such a game changer in pulling in the, not only the, the classic, the classic approaches to mediumship, but then bringing in this new understanding of, of quantum physics yeah. to, to it, which I found really interesting. Did, did that, did he shift your views in any way or, or add to them or? Well, me, I think it, I, I think it was a good, um, uh, a, a good set of an, another grounding in this area that I was just beginning to 
move towards and but Carlos you know Carlos had been Carlos was the scourge of the Samuel Weiser uh, book book retrieval uh, um, right. uh, place up in New York City from the age of 14 uh, he was sending books in you know book book lists in and all that stuff about things that he wanted most of it things about mediumship in in Europe and um all kinds of things. Uh, so he he already was there, you know, in terms of okay, we need to have a have a have a theory that will cover how these things happen and how how this how this fits in the natural world, um, because it's it's obviously that it's evident, it's there. So we have to find a way to accommodate our knowledge to to not just dismiss it and walk away, kind of thing. So he was already there, and for me, it was um, I I liked Bill. I thought he was. Uh, adorable. And he and I were um, non-Southerners in a Southern complex, so it, uh, or co- context. And <laughs> yeah. there were moments when we would, you know, he'd say, hey, and I'd say, hey, and then we'd both stop and go, <clears throat> hello, how are you? How are you doing? <laughs> you know, just to remind ourselves, you know, that I was from the North and he was from Denmark. But um, it really made an impact on me. And then uh, just in general, uh, reading and editing what Carlos was writing at the beginning and then just reading it later on and all kinds of conversations that we had um, and in his lectures, he, we, when he was, when I first, uh, when our relationship first uh, really started, I mean, we met each other a couple months before that. He came down like a lot of other people uh, would do to this uh, uh, summer study program that the Ryan did at the time. And um, from 1983 to uh, 1993, we were both faculty for that summer program. It was an eight-week program. And um, it was similar to the Paramook in that a, a number of people would be brought in to talk about their own work, and then there would be someone who would be there for a whole week kind of a thing. So he was always coming down to show the Stevensonian flag, basically, and give the lectures on mediumship and reincarnation and near-death experiences. And then his specialty, which was out-of-body experiences, that was his, um, he was especially interested in that uh, from a young age on as well, because of what it might say about the afterlife and what, whatever it is that might survive. Um, and he did his master's degree at John F. Kennedy in California in the early, finished it in the early 1980s um, by doing a survey on uh, out-of-body experiences. And I think it was one of the first people to really focus on the features of the experiences. So um, that was always in his head. So, and we talked constantly and we had an experience in New York City when we were waiting for a doctor in a clinic and the clinic was full of people. So of course the doctor was immensely late and we'd, we were talking about something we were writing. We were both working at the Parapsychology Foundation at that point. That's why we were living in, in, um, uh, in New York. And uh, this girl sitting next to us kept getting, you know, glancing at us. And at one point she said, are you two married? And Carlos, <laughs> Carlos was like, yes. And she said, oh my God, I've never seen a married married couple talk so much to each other. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, I have, <laughs> you know, not just us. You know, I'm not yeah. I feel sort of sorry for her, but it was really funny. We would get that kind of uh you know, there wasn't, we, we talked shop and we talked life kind of interchangeably for 38 years. So that's, that's wonderful. I had that's... quite an education and I'd like, to, I like to think that, uh, 
I like to think that I opened up some experimental avenues for him, but I have a feeling he already knew about them. It was just that <laughs> they weren't his favorite. Just humoring you at that point. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, let's, let's give her a little, let her feel better about it. I mean, when it came to, you know, setting up the paramook and doing the online stuff, then he would be like, uh, <laughs> what do I push? But. Uh, um, so. If someone wants to get a start in exploring ESP and mediumship, do you recommend any literature as a primer, maybe? I, I remember. I, I recommend a lot. I mean, uh, one uh, good introduction book that's still out there is uh, uh, Watt, Watts and, um, uh, Watt and Irwin, and it's an intro to parapsychology in English. It was published by McFarland. It's uh, available on Amazon in all the countries. There are a bunch of um, uh, books that you can get uh, that are similar to that, and they do a kind of an overview. Now, Car Caroline comes at it from a, a fairly skeptical point of view, but they still cover mediumship and things like that as well. Anything by Dean Radin is a, is a great place to start, and Stangle Entanglement is one of my favorites, but a lot of his more recent books are fantastic as well. There's always an element of teaching the introductory material to the reader, uh, whoever comes to that. Anything by Julia Mossbridge is also amazing. There's a book that she did called Transcendence with Immense uh, Bruce, who's a Canadian professor, um, that if you've got a little bit more of a background, you've got experiences of your own, that's a terrific book. I also tell people to become student members of the the Society for Psychical Research in uh, London and uh, the Parapsychology Parapsychological Association, um, which is uh, I think based still here in the U.S., um, they they now offer because of the pandemic and they're keeping it up. Lots and lots of low cost um, online lectures by people who are working in the field. The, uh, the other one, of course, is the Rhine Education Center through the Rhine Research Center, um, and their uh, website is just www.rhine.org. And then YouTube is astonishing. I mean, there is an awful lot of material there. All of this, uh, the SPR has a channel, the PA has a channel, um, the Rhine has a channel, a Parapsychology Foundation, which was actually um, uh founded in the year I was born. I was almost one year old when it was founded. Um, they have a, they have a, a, a YouTube channel that's extremely good. And what they've, they've had a lecture series since 1992 and then series of, of lots of filmed uh, conferences and all that kind of stuff. They've done a lot of interviews. Uh, Carlos has a lot of introductory material there. He, he did uh, several intro to parapsychologies uh, um, in different languages for that for that channel, but it's a wonderful place to go and just browse um, because virtually every everything uh, is there um, for you to see and some of it being taught by the people who are doing the primary uh, re research. That Parapsychology Foundation is also very interesting because uh, the woman who founded it, um, uh, Eileen Garrett, was uh, Lisette Coley, the current president's grandmother and the medium. Um, and her uh, uh, partner in this enterprise was Frances Payne Bolton, who was a congresswoman in the United States and very wealthy. And she had had um, she had uh, met uh, Mrs. Garrett because uh, she was interested in 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 those kinds of topics. She had lost a daughter in the 19 teens, and she was open to the idea of mediumship and. 
um, Mrs. Garrett had a very interesting approach to her own feel, feeling about what she could do. She was a trance medium, so she wasn't directly connected to the trance process. She would kind of disappear and her, her controls would come in and take over. But she had lots and lots of regular psychic experiences, dreams and visions and things like that stuff as well. And she was very interested in whether or not there was something wrong with her or or was there something real there? And of course she tended towards real, but she was still very intellectually um, querying all of the things that happened to her. And she wrote a number of really interesting books. One's called Adventures in the Supernormal. That's her one of her biographies. Another one, if you're if you're an experience yourself experiencer yourself, telepathy is the name of another one of her books where she talks about how she thinks it works for her and so on. And she always made herself available to the scientists of the day. Um, and, uh, and the, and the foundation itself has done some enormously good work over the, over the decades. Um, and I think the, 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 um, not only because the Paramook <laughs> lectures are featured <laughs> on her channel, um, but because they're just, uh, that's what they can do right now. They're going through all their film and slowly getting everything up there. I have I'm so excited by that too. too. Called Parapsychology Online, but I'd go to Parapsychology Foundation first. If I were yeah, to. well, it, their stuff is is just it's so it's so vast and it's so brilliant. Like and it, rich, that's what isn't I. It? Yeah. 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 I love their channel for that. And, and you know, like I know the Parapsychology Foundation and, and so many of the foundations and nonprofits and whatnot, they've been hit pretty hard by the restrictions yeah. and the, the rules and things like that. And I, I, I really encourage people listening, like if they can, if they can head over there, take a look at the, the material that's there yeah. and it's it, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Well, um, and they're, you know, they're... They're do the other thing they're doing besides um, trying to get all of their historical film up and out there, no matter you know what kind of condition it is, if, as long as you can hear what the people are saying and um, get something out of it, as well as doing new things now and then, is that they're um, uh, digitizing absolutely all of their publications too, with the idea that they'll be available as well at some point. Um, uh, to anybody and they're wonderful about looking for stuff you know if you can't find anything you can uh, drop a, a note to um, Parapsychology Foundation or put a comment on one of the videos and ask for something and they may be able to find it for you and they you know they have a library and that's out um, on the north fork of, of Long Island in Greenport and they and it, more than yeah it's to, so invaluable yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the work that they do is astonishing, and they're really wonderful people. I mean, um, Eileen Garrett founded it, and, and uh, Eileen Coley, her daughter, was her secretary for a while. And when um, Eileen Garrett passed away in 1970, uh, Eileen Coley and her husband, Robert Coley, took over. And then when Carlos and I had came in um, in 2000, we started working with them sort of as consultants in 1998. Um, we were living in Puerto Rico at the time. They And then we went on site in 2000. Um, at that point, uh, Lizette was the vice president. Her mom was in her 80s. Her dad had pa you know, passed away around the time that we moved up. So it was it was the next handoff, and now Anna Demolis, who who uh, um, is uh, Lizette's daughter, is the uh, person who is working the hardest with Lizette on getting everything done. She's the videographer and um, 
uh, and uh, she just does all kinds of great stuff. And then her brother George is on the board. So the, it's still a family, uh, a family legacy legacy to which they're all devoted, and and a wonderful, wonderful resource resource yeah i i think people are are so in need of this now yeah. because uh, you know that there's we were just inundated with with so many of these kind of thriller entertainment ghost hunting yeah. type things that this stuff tends to get lost and i yeah. think the, the the real legitimate stuff gets sort of mocked or or pushed to the side because people the think side, yeah, it's not, it's yeah. Usually, it's usually not so exciting as you know as the real yeah stuff. exactly yeah, but yeah, yet there's stuff. magic in here and like I, you were mentioning dean radin's books and like one of his books i just love was was real magic and oh, yes, and that's that's marvelous. Yeah, it's so marvelous, and I think so much of the magic in what's here and what we get to look at and research and experience there. It's it it is the real magic of the yeah. universe to yeah. me, and well, that's I, what makes this stuff so amazing. Exactly, exactly. And I I would also say like if somebody is interested in ghost hunting. Uh, uh, Lloyd Auerbach is teaching in every single semester in the Rhine Education uh, yes. uh, program, and some of it has to do with with uh, ghost hunting techniques and all that kind of thing. And then um, he also, I think he also teaches a credit course at Atlantic University that's an introductory course. And then if you're interested in mediumship, the Winbridge uh, Institute in Tucson, Arizona, where Julie... Um, um, Oh, gala. Julie Bishel. Bishel. I yep. just went through a whole <laughs> list of people named Julie, but I know. But, but Julie Bishel and her husband, Mark Bacuzzi, they um, mainly focus on uh, uh, mediumship and have had experiences themselves. But he comes out of the, the ghost hunting uh, tradition as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and just to blow my own horn, not that I had anything to do with the writing, but I did do the <laughs> do it. production. Um, Parapsychology Foundation published uh, Tony Cornell's book, back in the day, I think in the end of the 90s, um, uh, called Investi Investigating the Paranormal. And he and Alan Gold, who's a retired professor from the University of Nottingham, Nottingham started doing field investigations in 1955. And the two of them um, did some really amazing work. And Tony's uh, book was just wonderful. And you can see on the PF's YouTube channel, a whole day that was uh, uh, put together for the launch. And Carlos was a speaker and Lloyd Auerbach was a speaker. And um, That's exciting. Uh, Hans Holzer was a friend of the family and he was a speaker. And then Tony Cornell. And, and there, there, I think there's at least three um, YouTube videos about, about that day. Um, and that's a heck of a book. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun uh, doing the page production for because um, I was like the desktop publishing lady over there um, with uh, Mrs. Garrett's work because she was so uh, self-reflective and intentional and just fascinating. But I was also blown away by Tony Cornell and the, and the breadth of experience that he and Alan had from 1955 up to the, you know, up to the 90s. Absolutely. So just because a book is like ancient doesn't mean it isn't wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Which is like pretty much the mantra we need to apply in life. <laughs> yes, exactly right. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for, for being here because I know for a fact the audience has been thoroughly educated in, in this, which I think is drastically, drastically needed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike, you had another question to, to wrap this up. Yeah, I, I did. If there's one thing you wish people could take away from your teaching on these subjects, what would that be? Um, being uh, that, that science can handle anything, but science also needs nature and experience in the mix when you're thinking about what's happening. And that this is a very, very important topic for people because so many people have these experiences just because science has not been collectively positive about them at different eras across the centuries doesn't mean that they don't exist. They just keep coming. And the content of these experiences and the structure of these experiences and how they impact people's lives, that stays the same. So that means there's a reason to be curious and a reason to be um, intellectually interested in all of these, these experiences. I couldn't put it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Really, thank you so, so much for, for doing this and, and for being here and talking about wonderful, wonderful Carlos and, and everything. And we're just, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity because this is the first time that I've talked about him and, um, I'm sure I'm going to go knit for about three hours now <laughs> because I'm emotionally, um, yeah. uh, you know, hit in the head. But but um, he was an incredible person. I mean, he started so young being interested and published his first uh, journal article at 21, over 350 journal articles in his whole life. And for a 44-year tr- uh, career, he did about what a normal 90-year-old might have done in- <laughs> You know, he just he just crammed it all in and he and he still loved to, you know, go antiquing and was mad for Marvel movies. And, you know, we did not miss <laughs> a single Marvel movie. So we knew how to live life and as well as um, dive into this this uh, amazing experience filled um, area of study and and do incredibly good work about uh, work around that. And I'm I'm uh, I still don't know how I got this lucky to, to find this guy and have him want to marry me. But it, um, he had a wonderful, important life and in uh, curiosity and the willingness to drag science along with him, but to listen to people and care what they were saying that that really, that really was Carlos. So beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Morgan. And thank you, Mike. It's been nice talking to you. Thanks. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And we're done. I think so. That was wonderful. Believing that it's existing and and things like that. And it's just I yeah, I just I'm so so grateful that we did this today. And I uh, I have to ask you a favor. I totally forgot about um the four interviews you did with uh, Jeff Mischoff in New Thinking Aloud, and that's another great channel. We'll add in the links. Send yeah. me all the links, everything. I would I would I will. <laughs> yep, I'll well, add them to the show notes for the show. And uh, yeah, I will. will to- yeah, I'll I'll go. Yeah. I have to do that anyway for this this document that I have a terrible feeling is on my computer in the sh- in the shop but in the I, shop. Can, <laughs> oh, no. I can certainly make the list i can certainly make the list um of the videos that i hadn't started on the videos yet so i can do that for you today yeah that would be great because we'll we are we'll repost everything and i'll spam the internet with the <laughs> everything so <laughs> and I, I think i think this episode will be the one that uh is 
released on January 3rd. Oh, how yeah. nice. Our, our 33rd anniversary would have been the second. Oh, wow. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that I, was meant to be. Is yeah. that right? Uh, let me think about that for a second. What year is this? No, it's, yeah, the 32nd. The 32nd oh, wow. anniversary. Yeah. 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 That was that was meant to be. There's no such thing as a coincidence. There's no, no, there sure isn't. Yeah, no, there isn't. That's for sure. No, it all yeah. lines up exactly where it needs to be. See, so you coming into Paramook was really important. And honest to God, we we uh, Mike, I, I'm sure this will not surprise you. Morgan was the best chatter in the chat box. Oh always, yeah, always <laughs> informative, always enthusiastic. It was yeah, just wonderful I, to have her. I do a true crime podcast and dark history Ooh. and that kind of stuff. And oh, uh, cool. I, I brought Morgan on to talk about uh, the great Amherst mystery in Nova Scotia. Ah. Uh, and uh, I, you know, we just kind of hit it off so well. I knew we yep. would end up doing something together. So, Oh, yeah. Well, send me an email with, with, with uh, the links to these podcasts so I can stick them on my list. Great. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I mean, honest to God, I'm I if I'm not doing this, I'm watching it in CIS. So, uh, yep. <laughs> oh, Dark Boutique will be perfect for you. Really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Dark Boutique—it's amazing. Like it's—it's it's so amazing. It's so informative. Like Mike just—he had a a book just come out in November based on the on the podcast, and it's oh, like cool. stellar. Yeah, it's stellar, and the the stories are so phenomenal, and they're just like make your skin crawl in the best way. So. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a bestseller on Amazon Unexplained Mysteries right now. So. Oh, lovely. I'll go look for it. Oh, that's you act great. like you're surprised, Mike. You're like, yeah. <laughs> stop being surprised. Well, I I do feel surprised. I know that I've had our, our podcast, uh, Dark Poutine, has had like 14 million downloads. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I just wish I could convert those to a dollar or even a penny. <laughs> Dollar per download, that'd be okay. Yeah, yeah that would be okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, maybe. But yeah, no. But yeah, like I'm, I, I love being able to. I love being able to do the supernatural circumstances because I love the fact that like we get to we get to use the platform for so much. Yeah, mm -hmm. and this is that's what I I really really love about this. I was actually talking to Lizette Coley uh, a few days ago. And whatever, because I, I want to have her on um, to talk about the not only the foundation, but Eileen Garrett as well. And I'm going to oh, have yeah. um, she's, she's uh, Julie come on. She has, she's yeah. such a close. We were so lucky I, when we were we went to we went to New York in 1986 because Carlos was a voting member at the ASPR. And we went over just to say hello to the people at the PF. And we uh, her father, who was a character himself, he was a he was a Spitfire pilot in World War Two. He, he came downstairs to grab us, to bring us upstairs. And we came into the room with her mom and Elisette. And the first thing out of Mrs. Coley's um, mouth was, I've been watching you. And, we're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and they had asked Carlos to come and do a conference and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we were totally in awe of them. And I had, I had asked them for a grant when I was a, uh, just gotten out of my undergraduate and I got, turned down because I didn't have a master's and I thought and Lizette was very ashamed that a she turned me down and and then kind of flummoxed that the reason why I decided I had to go to graduate school was because of her letter 
and I so wow. I always I always uh, kind of blame them for keep getting me on the back on the path basically, which they thought was funny, but it was wonderful to work for them. And then when we came up to New York, all of a sudden we were part of the family. We you know it was yeah just marvelous and uh, super close friends. And she's my uh, she's one of my widow whispers. I, I have. Um, Bob Morris's uh, widow and uh, and her and then a cousin and um, uh, Brenda Dunn um, who have all lost people in the last uh, so many years and Bob died quite a while back but and and I it's wonderful to be able to write somebody an email and say I don't know what to do with myself and, and Brenda yeah. said are people asking you to do interviews and write things and I said yes she said say yes Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know yep and then Lizette was has had other kinds of you know I, I'm getting this like four-prong batch of incredibly good advice from people who've been in this situation before with men that they love to bits and yeah you know was the only guy so and I used to tell them at the end that uh, brain cancer has a tendency to make people uh, suspicious and mm-hmm. one day I had the got junk guys over here to clean out one of our outside closets so that I could um, uh, move my all of my correspondence out there so that I could spread out his because we had already started talking to the University of West Georgia who are taking his papers. And uh, um, or I mean, I'm not sure if that was true. I think it was some some other reason. <laughs> there was a re- other reason why I wanted to get all of his papers in one spot because I don't think I talked to them until after he passed away. But I came into the room and he thought I was, I had a boyfriend and I was going to pack up and leave him. Oh no. And I, you know, he'd never been insecure about our relationship. And I, so I sternly told him that, no, I wasn't going anywhere. And, and besides my profession for the rest of my life is going to be La Viuda Alvarado, which means the widow Alvarado. Right. (laughs) And he got this big smile on his face like, well, you don't have to necessarily do that, but boy, okay. (laughs) You know? he he, he got oh. rid of his suspicion really quickly we were really lucky because people with that particular problem um tend to get lose their personalities and he yeah. did not he was kind and curious and loving and just beautiful to everybody around him right right up to the last day yeah i had an incident in the in the summer in august with a, a dear friend of mine who has um, schizoaffective disorder Oh. And went off his, we're pretty sure went off mm. his medication. And uh-huh. um, it was very similar where he, he believed that I was sending him messages through my Facebook wall that I was yeah. basically out to get him and, and whatever. And it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was really intense. And I basically ended up leaving him a, like a, a, a really nice letter, like a really nice email basically saying like the door is open yeah, for you and whatever. But really like, there's no words that can that can um they can bring them out of that you know it's yeah. something i think that they have to come to that conclusion on their own yeah and i i, I he, he he got it i mean my first reaction was like they were 20 years old they could be my kids for god's sake you know <laughs> he was like um okay what's wrong with that picture yeah. and then we went on with the conversation but it was the first time in my whole life that he was would you know said anything like that and um and later on, the doctor said, well, actually, you're really lucky that he was okay with it afterwards, because some of them just can't get out of that. Yeah. And one of the nurses, her, her brother had died of glioblastoma, too, about two years or three years before that. And she said he was totally suspicious of everybody in the family. 
and angry with everybody in the family the last few months he was alive and it was really hard on them because he had not at all been that way um, as in his real life. And Carlos was yeah. just sweet as hell. He was, he was his own self right straight through and everybody loved him and he knew all their names and Wonderful. wanted to know how, how their kids were doing and knew their names. And even if he was forgetting, you know, what he ate in, in at breakfast or some cousin that he hadn't seen in 50 years, he knew the people around him and, and what they needed to, what he needed to talk to them about. So that was a big blessing too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but anyway, thank you guys. This is a, this is a breakthrough for me uh, because I've been really afraid to uh, do anything. Um, like I had to do that. I, I, put a YouTube video up on my my um, teaching online uh, YouTube channel thanking my university for giving me a teaching award and uh, I had to mention that you know that Carlos had passed and I it, it took me like six tries to get something that wasn't completely ridiculous so so this is uh, this is good I was and I'm, I'm doing the William roll uh, talk in uh, end of february i think early march i think that's wonderful and christine's the one to do it with yeah christine is terrific carl's always yeah. talked to all of her courses when he was you know doing well she'd have him in on an online thing to do a, a talk about his research to her students what's your kitty's so, name my oh this one is pinky the one that just made the noise Oh. That, that, that's Pinky and Spotty is sound asleep. Carl, Carlos uh, named all of our cats. The first two were Alva and Zing, you know, Alvarado and Zingroni. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the second cat were, cat batch were Lita and Lota. And Lita was short for Peluita, which means hairy in Spanish because she had a lot of hair. <laughs> she was a Maine Coon cat. Oh, and the other Coons. one was called Peruta because she was a um, American standard, very long and skinny, except she had this really round belly. And Pelota is a ball. So I've never had any any possibility of naming our cats. Pinky has a pink nose and Spotty has a spot on her nose. So. <laughs> Pinky sounds very Pinky friendly. Sounds I know, hey? Yeah, yeah. Well, they always made a Paramook appearance uh, at some point. Yeah. Like yeah, either, <laughs> They're always there. Either, me, either you could hear a meow or it was, yeah, they were there somewhere. But... Yeah. Well, the first two I wanted to call Charlotte and Emily, and he was saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> All the okay. <laughs> All right. That's so awesome. cute. Yeah. So, of well, course, we they were in the first line of the automatic writing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I met my, my favorite felines was in the first line. So Morgan, you'll send links to Nancy's where she can find everything. And absolutely, thank you. And, and I'll uh, after I go to the bathroom, I'll come back and start making you a list of uh, list of links. Awesome, that would be fantastic because we will, as I say, share the crap right out of that. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I'm sending you I'm sending you a link to the the podcast our website here right now. Oh great, thank you'll you. Have that. Uh, I will. This is wonderful, and I will talk to you guys very soon. <laughs> Well, thank okay. you very much. It was nice meeting you, Mike. Yes, nice to meet you too, Nancy. All the best. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called Could You Imagine If? 
This process was started by my colleague and best friend, Stephanie Wirtz, and myself when we were just teenagers back in high school. We would have conversations about all sorts of things that would begin with the phrase, what if, or could you imagine if? Usually it centered around our dreams of what we wanted for our company, Entity Seeker. No what if was too crazy or too big. We were just playing, but what we noticed was that those could you imagine ifs were beginning to show up in our experience. Sometimes it wouldn't be until a year later, but gradually we began to see that even the most impossible things appeared in situations where the essence of our what if was present. We would have fun with it, let our conversations run wild, and then let it go with no timeline on our expectation. Sometimes we would forget about it altogether until it began to happen. So we would encourage you to get out a journal, choose a subject that you don't have too much resistance in, but that you'd like to move into reality, and begin with, could you imagine if, or wouldn't it be nice if? You don't have to justify it. Just feel how it would feel with those results. Gradually, you'll begin to shift your emotional state on each one of these subjects, and as you do, you allow those probabilities to begin to realize into your experience. The most important thing is to have fun with it. Do it for the fun, not the outcome, and watch what happens. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. And remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at entityseeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at darkpatine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now. <laughs>